How's it going, everybody? It is five o'clock Thursday evening, and it is time for a special spooky Halloween edition of the Homeward Path. This is the show by me. My name is Adam. I am a husband, a father of three wonderful and energetic children, <laughs> and a full-time factory worker. Uh, somewhere between 42 and 45 hours a week, depending on how the week goes. But despite all of that, despite, you know, the, the time commitment that I have to a regular everyday life, we find a way to try to make competitive magic work, even if it's just at the local level. So I learn a lot of lessons the hard way. I'm on a budget time-wise. I don't, I, I don't have a lot of time for preparation. I'm on a budget financially because I don't have a lot of excess cash to burn. But if I can pass lessons that I learn on to you, that's what I want to do. If I can help anybody make their magic playing time easier, that's what I'm here for. So I, I did not get the episode up I intended last week, so we're doing it now. And it makes a little bit more sense on Halloween because what we're going to be talking about is a little bit scary. It's a little bit daunting. And that is building a deck in a format that has never existed before. Uh, I'm somewhat uniquely qualified to talk about this because of, uh, well, I'm going to share the story when we get into our main topic, but suffice it to say, I, as I said, I learned a lot of lessons the hard way, and this, this week's topic is no exception, so I'm going to share some of the stories of, you know, the things I learned the hard way so that you can maybe do things the easy way, and while, you're talk while we're talking about doing things the easy way, if you want to make your playing space upgrade easy, Head over to our sponsor at inkedgaming.com. You can get customized accessories to decorate your playing space. And we can make it even easier by giving you the promo code CCMTG10 at checkout. Get 10% off your order. Make your, you know, decorate your space. Make it look awesome. Just in time for Halloween. Well, probably not just in time for Halloween because that's right now as I speak. But, you know, it's beside the point. Playing space is going to be so nice it's going to be scary. Anyway, uh... And uh, if you want to make your magic, the, the act of playing magic, the actual execution of playing magic easier, check out the content on the network, constructedcriticism.com. Common knowledge, best popper podcast on the web. I will fist fight anybody that says otherwise. Uh, constructed Criticism. Matt and Spencer, I mean, they break, they break things down so in-depth it just makes playing the game actively easier. So check it out. And now we have uh, Mike Greenbaum and the Arena Mythic cast, which this week had Kanye Best on to talk about Green Black Clover and Standard. Like, do it. It's, it's not hard. It's easy. It makes your magic playing easy. And if you want to make me, if you want to make doing this podcast easier for me, you can head over to patreon.com slash homerpathmtg and donate. The show's always going to be free, but if you like what you're hearing enough to help me keep doing it, send it over. Make my life a little easier. Let's talk. Let's dive in, shall we? Uh, so Pioneer, for those of you who don't know, is a new format that was just announced last week on Monday in, in conjunction with the banning of Field of the Dead and Standard. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... It's a, a brand new format that we've never played before. Like, the card pool is Return to Ravnica forward. No fetch lands. The, the fetch lands are banned. 
So it's the first non-rotating format that we've ever gotten. Well, with the exception of pauper. It's the first non-pauper, non-rotating format that we've ever gotten that does not feature fetch lands as a big part of the identity of the format. I mentioned that in uh, Riding in Cars with Cards last week. That was one of the things I was really hyped about with Pioneer. But with that comes restriction, and with that comes some, some creativity, comes some excitement, comes some hype. And it really kind of took me back to this other format that I helped work on back in 2011. Uh, it was shortly before I actually ended up taking my magic sabbatical uh, because I just I, I really wanted to get to play this format more and nobody was doing it yet. It was brand new. Like there was a ton of hype around it when it was in the testing phase, when it was new, you know when we were working on it. And then shortly thereafter, it just kind of died because it became a broken mess of nonsense until bands were established and the format was slowed down some. And by the time that happened, I had already taken my break. I was in the midst of not playing Magic for a while. I just didn't have the money to play. And that format was modern. So... The way Modern was created, the way Modern was born, is we had a format called Extended that was seven years worth of Magic, and it rotated every three years. So we would rotate three years worth of sets out every third year, instead of doing what we do in Standard now, where every year we rotate out a year's worth of sets, or what they initially tried to do with Extended in the, the interim, where seven years had gotten too broken but then they tried to cut it down to four and rotate every year and it was just like playing two standard formats mashed together and it just wasn't any fun like there was no breaking there was no solving there wasn't a lot of cross format synergy or anything like that we were looking for an alternative a bridge between standard and legacy at the time and what we ended up with uh, Gavin Barhe started a tournament series on Magic Online. It was free entry and uh, skins payout. So for every round you would win, you would get a pack. And the format was, uh, Gavin called it overextended. A, a clever little pun based on the name of the format that we were trying to replace. And the way we were playing it is it was invasion block forward with a ban list. And we tried all kinds of stuff in that format over the course of, I think, a two or three month period where we were playing every single weekend and then sending, you know, on a website, we had all the deck lists saved and the, the you know, the records of everybody that played, the even the, even the ones that weren't good, if they looked like they had some merit and maybe just needed some tuning, that was something we would work on too. Uh, and I mean, there was all kinds of stuff that we got to work with. You know, Cabal Therapy, Thought Seas, Fetchland, Shockland, Mana Bases, like all of this was a part of the format. And... 
we tried a bunch of stuff. Infect was was something we played a lot of because it was just simple, it was straightforward, it was powerful, and you know, it was it was one of the easiest ones for me to port over from standard at the time. I just had to upgrade the mana base. Like that was it. That's all I did. Uh, you know, decks like Eight Rack existed in that format well before they ever existed in modern. Were they good? No. But they existed. They were things we tried. But as we started, you know, the more we worked on it, and you know, the more a, a handful of decks kind of rose to the top in prominence. Uh, 12 post. Uh, what else was it? It was 12 post and Tron variants. The, although, ironically, at the time, Tron and 12 post were both blue decks because we, you know, we figured that one of the best things to have in your, in your deck is a payoff for big mana was locking your opponent out of the game with spell burst being able to spell burst and buy back every single turn just counter at least one probably multiple spells every single turn that was something we were interested in uh you know just a litany of stuff that we tried out eldrazi you know uh big mana eldrazi strategies before we had the reasonably priced eldrazi cards we tried variations on burn zoo uh, green black rock, uh, junk, jund, uh, stone blade because we didn't ban Jason Stoneforge in our format, uh, goblins with patriarchs bidding, so it was nutty, affinity, uh, dredge. The one card we, I think we ended up keeping banned was Hypergenesis because it was just a little bit too strong to be able to Hypergenesis, you know, cascade into Hypergenesis and then put a bunch of like Emrakuls and Emrakul and Progenitus and something else into play and just kill them on the next turn. Or if you put Emrakul, Progenitus, and a Haste Enabler and then you just kill them. You know, Exile Simeon Spirit Guide, cast Violent Outburst, hit Hypergenesis, put every dumb thing I have into play and if one of them's a Haste Enabler, oh look, they died. Like, that would have been a little too strong. Uh, fairies would bitter blossom well before, you know, well well before any conception of it in, in modern ever existed. We played everything we could think of, submitted every report we could to Wizards, and then we missed the two biggest decks of, the, the two biggest decks of modern once they made modern an official format, which was 8th edition forward with a band list. And those two big decks being uh, Mono Blue Infect with Blazing Shoal, uh, playing Blazing Shoal and either like Dragonstorm or Progenitus or something red to pitch for Blazing Shoal that cost at least nine so that your Blazing Shoal would grant your Blighted Agent or Ink Moth Nexus plus nine plus O oh and just kill your opponent. You know, Shoal Infect, if you, if you prefer the designation. Uh, and then the other very obvious deck that we missed was uh, green-red 12-post instead of playing it in blue. Part of it was being uh, slaves to tradition because at the time the big mana, the big mana decks were all blue. Like Sylvan Scrying for Tron, like Sylvan Scrying and Reap and Sow with Tron Lands was something that did not get attempted in overextended. We just we didn't see it. We didn't try it. Because we didn't think of Tron as a proactive deck. We thought of it as a control deck that was good against other control decks. And then green-red 12-post came out, and it was the same advantages that 12-post had in Mono Blue, 
but faster because of access to Sylvan Scrying and uh, Expedition Map and uh, Reap and Sow and Primeval Titan. And ultimately that was what got Cloud Post banned in Modern. But we didn't see it. Because we were hung up on things we were we were doing in the past. We were hung up on the way things used to be. And that's the first real lesson to take away when it comes to building a deck in a new format. There's going to be plenty of history to draw upon. But don't be too beholden to it. Really good example of the format right now is the sheer volume of people playing uh, four-color copycat. Now, there is definitely an advantage to having access to green in your deck because Oko is a really messed up magic card. That card is disgusting as elk. Um, it's just really, really good. So I can understand wanting to play green from that, from that point of view. But I, I can't help feeling like a lot of these lists are done, are built the way they are because the standard deck was four color. That was a, the standard version was a four color, a four color energy mid-range deck. The fourth color was literally just the splash for the Felidar Guardian. And it looks like that's largely what we're doing in the, the Oko variant. But we were playing a lot of energy cards. We were playing a lot of enter the battlefield abilities. You know, we had this, this value mid-range game plan to fall back on in order to, to, to push things forward, you know, keep pressure on the opponent once they respected the combo enough. It was also a standard format in which a lot of countermeasures for the combo simply did not exist. You know, the best countermeasures for the combo in standard all were in white. Or were burn spells. And then Planeswalker, uh, the Planeswalker redirection rule still existed. So damage dealt to a player at any point could be redirected to a Planeswalker they controlled. So we would, you know, unlicensed disintegration was an out to the combo, and it's not anymore. The rules have changed. It's just not an out. It only deals its damage to a player. But, you know, cards like Walking Ballista are an out to Sahili. So we played them in Mardu vehicles, even though they didn't have a lot of synergy with the deck. Uh, Thalia Heretic Cathar would both slow them down a turn and make it impossible for them to kill you with the combo. Uh, cards like Authority of the Consoles made it to where your life total would rise as high as the number of, uh, of cats they made. That's fine. But what we didn't have in the format at the time, we didn't have Jace Architect of Thought that could just sit there and proactively answer the combo on a Planeswalker body. Just say, hey, those cats are, uh, those cats are, are, are negative one fours. That, that's what's happening. Those cats aren't killing me. Or we didn't have Rampaging Ferocidon yet. That's what it was designed to be. Rampaging Ferocidon was designed to counter the Sahili combo. Because it would come down on turn three on the play, and the Sahili player would then be forced to answer it. Now, that's another feather in the cap, if you will, for playing Oko. Another horn on the head, if you will. 
is you can land your Oko on turn three on the play and be able to turn the Ferocidon into a turn three elk before comboing off. Except if you play Oko on turn three, that means you didn't play Sahili. So now you're aiming for a turn five combo, and that gives me more time to find an elk. While I, you know, swing three three elks at you. We're, we're still doing, you know, we're still serving the purpose of disrupting the combo, even if it's just because it slows it down a turn. Now, a lot of the common countermeasures at the time don't work because of new technology cards like Teferi Time Raveler are really good. But, you know, that's a, that's a good example of a specific card that was really, really good, that play, or a combo that was really, really good, that players are still trying to build largely the same way, and I'm not sure that's the most optimal going forward. Another really good example is the number of players who said, oh, Aetherworks Marvel is going to be busted in this format. Aetherworks Marvel didn't have any answers in its standard format. You had Artifact Destruction, which does literal nothing. Teferi Time Raveler literally shuts that card off. Can't cast the spell that you hit. Graph Digger's Cage didn't exist in that standard format. It shuts that card off. You can't cast the spell from your library. I mean, <laughs> uh, Lavinia, the, the, the two-mana Lavinia, shuts that card off. When, a, when, a, when an opponent casts a spell, if no mana was spent to cast it, counter that spell. Or players can't cast spells with a converted mana cost higher than the number of lands they control. Lavinia shuts that card off. Does not let it do anything. Like, there are so many answers to Aetherworks Marvel that didn't exist in its standard format. So, I mean, it's really important to look at not just the deck, is it the deck itself being really powerful, but it's also important to look at the context that made it powerful. Don't be beholden to the style of deck that it was when it was in standard or when it was really good in older formats because it may not work the same way. I'm struggling a little bit with the same thing when I'm building Arclight Phoenix. I really want to play Finale of Promise, but I don't know if it's going to be good enough. I'm going to try it because the card's really powerful, but I'm, I'm open to the idea of not playing it because I can understand. Like, I am open to being wrong about this. So, you know, being hung up on the lesson that, you know, for, for the Sahili combo, you have to play four colors. Well, really all the things you want to do are in Jeskai. So if they if they ban Oko in this format, is it worth the green just for Oath of Nessa? I don't think it is. I'm not sure it is. You know, if we're looking at blue-white control, or we're looking at uh, Esper control, or we're looking at... Uh, you know, decks like a Tarka Red or decks like Red Deck Wins. Just because it's been good, like, you know, Mono Red Prowess is one I really jumped on right away. And then I look at it and I'm like, I don't think it's actually as good as I think it is. Like, I'll just play Mono Red Aggro instead. Just regular Mono Red Aggro. We'll take advantage of the two one-drop Prowess creatures, but we're not going to, like, buy all the way in on something like Bedlam Reveler and cards that are only good in a prowess shell in like crash through or warlord's fury because i don't actually think that iteration of the deck is good enough even though it's really good in modern 
the context of the format is different. So even though we have a lot of the same cards, it's not the same deck. It's not the same format. The opponents you're playing against are not the same. As for lesson number two, this was one we really struggled with along the same lines of not being beholden to, you know, the traditions of the past, if you will. We missed on Shoal Infect, we missed on 12 Post with Primeval Titan and playing green-red without backup. Uh, we missed on, oh, what was the other, like, really good pro act? Like, we missed on how good the Storm combo decks and, you know, just the combo decks in general were going to be because we were, uh, we didn't buy all the way in on proactive linear strategies. Like affinity we knew was really good. We knew infect was like pretty good, but we didn't know what the final build would look like. Turns out uh, spending two cards to make plus nine at no mana is really, really good. And it's way better than any combination of ground swells and mutagenic growth could ever be. It just, it takes up less space in the deck. You can play more cantrips to round your deck out. You can, you know, it functions more like a traditional combo deck instead of being this like really linear aggro deck. All because you're willing to play this little two card combination and play a really light creature package to be able to maximize them. Like that was an infect deck that ran peer through depths. Because it would dig for the, the half of the combo you were missing. The, the 12 post deck was way more proactive. You know, you would, you would accelerate into, e like, the number of times you would just accelerate into a through the breach on Primeval Titan to get two lands out of your deck, attack, get two more, and then let him die. And then you would just untap. Activate Eye of Ugin and still have enough mana to cast Emrakul the Aeon's Torn. While gaining a bunch of life because your last post, your, you know, you'd get a double cloud post with the first one, get like uh, Vesuva and Glimmer post with the second, the second uh, Titan activation, which would then gain you a ton of life and then your cloud post still tap for a bajillion mana. Like, that was the deck. That's what made it so powerful. It was the proactive nature of it. So don't. one of the easiest ways to have success in a brand new format that's never existed before, build your deck in such a way that your opponent has to have a specific answer. A really good example in the current Pioneer format is uh, Jeskai Ascendancy. I cannot stress how underrated this deck is because it gets around so much of what people are doing. They want to play, you know, fair magic with cards like Abrupt Decay, with cards like uh, Oko, with cards like just, you know, creature removal spells and beefy creatures and disruption and, you know, get a little bit on the board and then try to try to judge your opponent out in Sultai. Or they're wanting to play decks like Paradoxical Outcome or Aetherworks Marvel, Four Color Copycat. You know, these are powerful proactive decks in the case of the... But 
it's different when you're talking about a deck like Jeskai Ascendancy because the cards that beat Sahili Cat are removal spells, are disruption, are things that make tokens intertapped, are thing you know things that slow down an infinite creature kill. And then you have the Jeskai Ascendancy deck with Sylvan Awakening. And you just get to turbo through your deck, make all your lands and, you know, your lands are two twos, you make them huge, and then you kill your opponent. Like, that's ridiculous. It's just downright ridiculous. The ability to do all of that just by buying all the way in on it. And then the kind of remote, the kind of thing that beats you is specifically things that blow up Jeskai Ascendancy. So it has to be enchantment hate. It has to be exactly abrupt decay or assassin's trophy. And even if it's even if it's either one of those, there's enough instance in the deck that you can still mostly combo off in response because your average mana curve is so low and you play so many instants. Like, it's not unheard of for this deck to just... It's its one of the most consistent turn four combo decks in the format. It just... If you don't disrupt it sufficiently, and even if you do and they just draw out of it, they still just kill you. So buying into a powerful, proactive, linear strategy, make your opponent have what beats you. Because early on, the more reactive decks are going to have bad sideboard configurations. There are some weird niche strategies out there, and I know there are. So having an answer to them in the form of, you know, the specific sideboard technology that beats it is going to be a, a pretty tall order. You know, it's not something that it, it's not something you can justify when you don't know what everybody's doing. So, you know, that's, that's kind of part two, if you will. And then the last lesson I would say is pay very, very close attention, not just to what people are playing, but why they're playing it. You know, eventually our metagame kind of warped around these blue 12 post decks and we got to playing a lot of ghost quarters. We got to playing a lot of tectonic edges and then, you know, eventually a green-red Ponza deck really kind of popped up and started making some waves. Now, that exact situation isn't going to happen here because that, that style of deck just doesn't exist in this format. But, for example, if we see a deck, you know, we see a lot of four-color copycat. We see a lot of, uh, we see a lot of these mid-range decks. We see a lot of... Uh, a deck like Bant Spirits lines up really interestingly against all of that. Because Mausoleum Wanderer is, is a little bit of a headache for some of these decks. Uh, there's access to good sideboard cards. You know, there's Collected Company is just a, a messed up magic card when you get to play a bunch of stuff out. Uh giving your creatures all of your creatures flash is really powerful. Another good example is a deck that is, you know, mono blue tempo is another really good example. If you can keep the Teferi time raveler from hitting the board, you can disrupt the combo with counter magic and being a spell pierce deck is a pretty good way to do that. When the, the copycat deck wants to just kind of turbo out and get on the board. 
you know, there's, there's a lot of different angles to approach a format from, but it starts with knowing what you're up against. So pay close attention to every scrap of data you can find. So that's really what I've got here as far as, uh, as far as lessons to learn. Again, I played some weird stuff when we did overextended. I played like, I played Ninja Fairies. I played uh, Grixis discard deck. I played, but then I turned around and I played stuff like Burn. I played stuff like just, you know, I played stuff like Zoo. I played stuff like uh, uh, Green Black Rock. You know, there's a, there's a lot to choose from in an open format that's never existed before. But I would highly recommend starting with something, you know, don't be beholden to building your deck the way it's always been built. Pick something that forces your opponent to do something about it. Ideally, several somethings, like two or three decks that your opponent has to have specific answers for. And then based on the data that you're gathering, play the one that isn't seeing a lot of play, like isn't seeing a lot of answers played. And there's, I, I would, I would talk about the one that I'm looking at, but I don't want to ruin mine and Brett's fun later. And once we get it built, I really want to share it with everybody after we've had a chance to run it in and try it out. So that's all I've got this week, everybody. Uh, that's all I got. New formats are great. I love playing new formats. But in the long run, we got to have a little bit of balance. We've got to have some, you know, we got to have some, some grounded expectations. And also remember that this format's never existed, so don't get too super attached to these really, really busted cards. Uh, I can't remember who it was on Twitter that said what they did, but they said something to the effect of find a card in the format that you think should be banned and then be the reason that Watsi bans it. Oh, I didn't see that one. I got to share that. I got to, I got to do that one. Anyway, that's all I got for this week, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you have questions, comments, concerns, you want to tell me how wrong I am, how right I am, anything in between, don't hesitate to hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Homeward Path MTG. Hit me up on Facebook. My name is Adam Spain. Uh, hit me up on the Facebook group, the Homeward Pathfinders. If you're a patron of the show, you obviously have access to the discord. Uh, don't forget to check out the companion series on YouTube, Riding in Cars with Cards, where we break down not just what people are, not just the kinds of lessons I do here that tend to be a little bit more evergreen in nature, but where we cover specific cards, specific decks, what I'm playing, what other people I know are playing, my patrons are playing, you know, that's the companion. That's where we're applying the things we're going to talk about here. Uh, and again, don't forget to check out the network constructedcriticism.com. Content's great. Go over there and check it out. And then while you're out, you can help me with my favorite segment every week. Hashtag MTG dad jokes, because I love a good pun. I love turn of phrase. Good. You know, wordplay is my favorite kind of play. And we got some doozies this week. First off from at Freshmaker says, what do you call a pair of ginger brutes who've been preventing each other from attacking? Stalemates. Huh? Huh? I appreciate that one. 
I appreciate that one. Uh, the next one we have from at Max Plays MTG it says, rate my Halloween costume idea. It's Max Con. I'm sorry. Uh, rate my Halloween costume idea. I stand around with match slips signed 2-0 and hand them out to everyone that comes up to me. I'm a concession stand. <laughs> Love it. And this one, it says, uh, it's from at Turn One Thoughtsies. It says, we're officially, takes off sunglasses, locked and loaded. Yeah! And it's a picture of four copies of Drown in the Lock. My response to this after Luke Green tagged me in it so that I would see it was, I cannot physically like this enough to do it justice. And I can't. And then this one, I'm sorry if this... I'm, I'm sorry if this one is uh, a little bit troublesome for people if, you, if you've been dealing with this kind of experience. If you need someone to talk to about some kind of, uh, about this kind of an experience in real life, not joking at all, please feel free. Like, I'm, I'm open. I'm, I, I will talk. I will not. I, I understand. I will not judge. I will not blame. But... I found this fairly funny. Craig Wesco says, so far my pioneer experience has felt kind of like what women describe online dating as. Ever since the announcement, everyone's been sending me unsolicited deck pics of their white weenie. <laughs> and it's funny because exclusively uh, Craig, Craig Wesco, I mean, he's, he's the, the, the legend when it comes to white weenie. And then... Not to, out, not to be outdone, he outdid himself. I uh, said, now would be the perfect time to bring back breakfast cereal names to differentiate between all the diverse decks in standard. For instance, Oko Krispies, Oko Puffs, Oko Pops. And Constructor Criticism's own Brandon Clark says, I'm Oko for Oko Puffs. <laughs> Love it. Anyway, that's all I got for this week, everybody. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we'll be back next week where I have no idea what we're going to be talking about yet. But hopefully we get some sweet Pioneer deck submissions. Remember, if you are a patron of the show, you move to the front of the line for uh, deck list submission for writing in Cars with Cards. Your list will be published before anyone's if you send it to me and you tell me you want it on the show. If you're a patron of $3 or more, you have priority when it comes to what decks get published on that show. Ahead of mine, ahead of anybody I know, like... In this area that I live in, you know, ahead of any of my personal friends, any of them. If you are a patron of the show, you are helping support me financially, you move to the front of the line. And you can get your sweet brew out there for everybody to everybody to talk about, everybody to judge. Maybe you broke the format. I don't know. I mean, it is a new format. I want pioneer stuff. Because I like talking about this format. It seems like it's going to be an absolute blast to play. So, all that out of the way. All I have left is to tell you, have a safe Halloween, have a good Halloween, enjoy yourselves, don't eat too much candy because, you know, that's how you end up looking like me, uh, both the hair falling out and the gut, and take it easy, we'll catch you next week.